Hey, you're listening to Mastering Money, where we explore the many aspects of good financial decision-making. I'm Doretta Thompson, financial literacy leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This season, we're looking at the future of work. We'll be diving into hot-button topics like how interest rates and inflation will affect our everyday, how to prepare ourselves and our children for the accelerating speed of change in the workplace, and the AI technologies that might replace our jobs. Today, we're talking artificial intelligence and its impact on the labor force. With thousands of jobs being automated, AI is rapidly transforming the job market in multiple industries. There's a lot of fear and a lot of opportunity. In this episode, we explore the potential risks and benefits of AI adoption, how it might reshape industries, and what we need to think about to stay employable in an AI-driven world. My guest is CPA Shasta Baber, who leads KPMG's People and Change practice for the Prairies. Shasta, welcome to Mastering Money. Thank you. I, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me on the show. So before we begin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So as you've mentioned, my name is Shasta Baber. I am a CPA, CA by trade. And I have been with KPMG a little over 14 years now. I actually started my career in Ontario and I'm currently residing in Calgary. I've had a bit of a journey. I started the what you call the traditional route, which is I became a CPA and was definitely in audit for a number of years, which gave me my foundational knowledge in the space and moved into consulting. First, I did finance transformation. And subsequently after that, I was able to lead our learning practice for KPMG, the advisory practice nationally, which drew on that love of people and learning. And since then I've moved into people and change. So in terms of the work that I do in the market, I am helping lead our prairies practice here in Western Canada. We work with organizations around HR transformation, change management. We talk about the future of work, which is going to be a topic today for sure, and a plethora of other items like organizational design and digital transformation. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight. But what I'm most passionate about are my two daughters, Anusha and Maisha, who are seven and one. Oh, well, thank you. And it sounds like you've got a wealth of experience and transferable skills that kind of work in really interesting ways for this topic. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a quick primer on exactly what we mean by generative AI and how that's different from artificial intelligence in general? I think right now there is a lot of buzzwords and terms that are being used. In terms of when we're going to be talking about generative AI, we're really talking about it's a category of artificial intelligence and it specifically is about the techniques and the language machine that is trained to generate new content. And I think that piece around new content is really important. So it can create images, it can create text, it can create code. 
And it's similar to the data that it's trained on. And I think that word trained is really important because it is really taking that a large data set and really looking at the underlying patterns in that data set and being trained on how to be able to generate similar content. I do want to say that the concept of generative AI has taken mainstream as of November 30th, I would say, of 2022, as a result of OpenAI putting out ChatGPT for the masses. But it's not necessarily a net new concept. We've had it in the works for quite a number of years under different platforms. But as I mentioned, there's always the one tool that takes the world by storm, and it just happened to be ChatGPT. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's really captured the public imagination in a really powerful way. Yeah, absolutely. So there's been, as you say, since particularly since the end of November in that release of ChatGPT, a whole lot of buzz around generative AI and how it's going to transform the future of work and make things irrelevant and all of that kind of thing. But based on what you're doing with your clients, what are the biggest trends that you're seeing on how AI is actually transforming the workplace? As I mentioned before, although generative AI may seem like a relatively new concept, I think it's because of its current capabilities really outstanding in comparison to its peers. So we've all been familiar with chatbots, for example. It's been around for almost a decade. You know, you hear Alexa's in the series of the world where there it's been conversational and it's been available to us. But like you said, that sort of landmark date of November 30th, 2022 really did start to change things around for individuals and corporations. I will say that there are very few experts out there in this space. So honestly, if anybody comes on and says, I know everything generative AI and I can tell you the ins and outs of it, I'd be a little bit cautious with that. I think all of us are novices or really baseline intermediates at best because it's a virtual playground right now. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of both individuals and corporations is I don't think that we truly know its capabilities. And you and I spoke about this earlier is although this was released in November, the the rapid pace of change that's being experienced, it's not a let's look at what happens in a year from now. It's every single day you're hearing new use cases, you're hearing about ways to be able to adopt it. So in terms of trends in particular that we're seeing in the market, I think one of the things is the real uptake of employees experimenting with the tool and seeing how they can use it in their day-to-day work. So it's enhancing productivity. We'll talk about a little bit more about this later, but KPMG did do a generative AI adoption index survey and recognizing the pace of change this was done mid-May. So I know we're August right now and there are some changes there, but serving well over 5,000 Canadians, we found out 20% of Canadians have answered the survey saying, I use the tool on a regular basis, either at work or with my studies. And about 89% of them were people who are in the workforce right now. And that's a massive uptake for a tool that hasn't even been in the market for more than a, well, it's less than a year, like November hasn't even come around. So we're seeing that. I mean, there's a lot of focus on productivity. We're seeing people wanting for efficiencies. We're seeing people wanting to use it for data analysis, drawing insights, doing research. 
and also really think about how do they improve the customer experience as well as how to embed it in innovation and what kind of new services they can provide. I think outside of that, another massive trend I'm seeing and what we're being called in for from clients is education around it and learning around the tools. We are actively having clients have us come in and speak to them about generative AI, what the use cases are specific to either industry or function, how you use it in finance, how do you use it in HR, what could it do for the healthcare sector, but also the ethics behind it is what are the things we need to be really cognizant of when we're using the technology and what kind of policies can we have in place to protect the, both the individual and the organization? Yeah, I threw a lot at you there, but I'm sure there'll be some follow-up. Yeah, that policy around use issue to me seems really, really important. I mean, we don't even really know what and how some of these tools are learning, what they're scraping, what they're looking for. So you could see risks to privacy, risks to corporate challenges. Are you getting a sense of that from clients that there's some concern around these issues? Absolutely. I think there are so many concerns that are coming from the employer specifically around the information that is being put into the tools. So again, that same survey we talked about, 23% of individuals admitted to putting information about their company, including the name, into these tools, right? And 10% said that they were putting financial data about their company. To understand that this isn't, that information that you put in is iterative. It's now then being used to be able to generate, iterate, and learn and be able to provide responses. So whatever you share, you have to be very careful with it because it no longer remains your own. And I think that awareness of data security, data privacy, holding people accountable and incorporating that into an ethical framework of policy is going to be critical for organizations so that they don't lose their IP. Yeah, you can see it being really potentially very dangerous for things like competitive strategies that people can be playing with the technology to do a great presentation, for example, on a new strategic direction and suddenly that is going to be scraped for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And given the kind of market that we're in, having competitive advantage and being very deliberate with protection of your data and information is critical for you to be able to not just thrive, but like really just sustain yourself as an organization and to have someone who works within the organization on account of lack of knowledge of the tool may do so not intentionally, but unintentionally share information, share IP that would cause a serious data breach. And I right. already know, you know, the topic of cybersecurity and the data threats out there are infinite. And a lot of that is the work that we also do at KPMG. We're brought in all the time for topics like that. So definitely a consideration and a big risk. Are you seeing any companies that are not permitting it for now? Or is the move more towards creating company-specific and secure generative AI bots or whatever so that it only has access to, it's only available to people within the company to use it? 
I think although the pace of change and implementation and adoption is really high right now, we're still at the infancy of trying to figure out what it looks like in the market. That said, what our survey results were able to show us is that of those who participated, 12% said that they were prohibited from using any sort of generative AI rules at work. And it was 18% if they were in a publicly traded company. So that's a fairly large number, which indicates that organizations are apprehensive that perhaps right now there is a lack of, you know, they're lower on the maturity in terms of having the right policies in place in order to be able to protect their data, to be protecting the use. And also I know that there is a lot of anticipation for being able to use tools that are specific to the data of the organization versus public. If you go into ChatGPT and I start putting in information there, you know, global access versus having localized versions of it that are bespoke and catered to your organization would provide a little bit more security, but we're still in the evolution of understanding what those tools and, and iterations are going to look like. So what do you make of the calls for some people in the industry, like the Google developer, like Elon Musk, about we should really be shutting down development here until we really learn how to put the right bumpers around it? I don't want to oppose any of those, but my personal opinion is in this space, in, you can't halt innovation. You can't put bumpers around innovation. It will happen irrespective of how much you want to curb it. I think it's naive to think, oh, let's put a pause on this. Gen AI is here, right? Like the, the, the trains left the station. I think we need to adapt and iterate as it's progressing and moving along. And I think also we need to build an appetite that this rapid pace of change is here to stay. It's going to be really hard to tell anyone, hey, put a pause on this, let's put the right policies into place. That's not to discredit or take away from the fact that these policies absolutely need to be there from an ethical standpoint. There is a big ethical dilemma here that we're trying to solve for. But as an organization, as opposed to going to the extreme of banning it and, and not acknowledging its existence, maybe move a little bit towards the, hey, let's think about it could potentially be used. You, people will find ways around it. That's the truth of it, right? And it may not be on your company device. They may use it on their personal device. And there's no way for you to be able to audit that. But put the right policies in place. Protect yourself as an organization. Inform your employees about what's right, what's wrong, as it currently stands, and what's right and wrong may change as time evolves, right? And it can be used for and what it can't be used for. And that's what we've done at KPMG. I mean, we've embraced it and said, okay, it's here to stay. And so let's be very particular and stipulative about what the do's and don'ts are of the usage of Gen AI in the workplace. So how are you using it? That's a really great question. I think there's two parts to it. From a work perspective, I think that as much as I'm a big proponent and I'm very curious about learning, I did hesitate for a first few weeks to say, well, where's this information going and what can I use it for? I do think it's quite a bit of an art. Like it, I think they're calling it prompt engineering is to know what kind of prompts to put in and what kind of output you'll get. And you educated me one on you can ask it to cite the resource or where the source is, is coming from, which I think was amazing. So I think in a work context, I am using it more from a standpoint of 
data collection, I would say, or some preliminary research or allowing me to get my creative juices flowing when I have to, say, do a podcast. (laughs) But outside of work is where I would say I've used most of it. It feels a little bit more comfortable. So I am a mother of two. I recently returned back from maternity leave a few months ago, and I have picky eaters at home. And decision fatigue is real. And I really don't want to think about every single day. What am I going to cook for these two girls who give me a tough time around the dinner table? Genuinely, I've gone into ChatGPT and said, I have chicken, I have broccoli, I have rice, I have two picky eaters. Under the age of eight, please help me find three dishes I can make. And it's been a lifesaver. We used it for traveling. Hey, tell me the three things I can do when I go to Vancouver or the best restaurants. And I find it to be pretty helpful on that front. I needed house help. I needed someone to just help me around for a few days of the week. And I didn't have time to figure out how I was going to do it. And ChatGPT wrote the entire job description for me. And within a day, I had 30 applicants. So that made the process significantly easier. And I even told it to have friendly language. So I had the right kind of person coming in. So I would say there's infinite opportunities, but definitely some of the ways that I've personally used the tool. We've talked about some of the rewards and the uses of AI. What do you think the biggest risks are? And I don't really want to sort of get into the kind of fear mongering that we see sometimes, but I think there are some very genuine risks. What are you thinking along those lines? Earlier in the conversation, we touched on quite a number of risks that are being seen, but it is really important that we speak to what we're observing to be the true risks here. One, there is one around ethical dilemma of the transparency and the accountability as it pertains to the usage of it. And so in the study that we had noted earlier, you know, there's only about 60 some percent of individuals who are saying, yeah, my employer knows that I use AI at work. And that is concerning because there's another 40% who either have not disclosed it or don't know whether their employer is aware that they're using it. So there's that piece there. But as with any other technology, there are risks always around safety, security, and privacy. And I don't think that that is explicit to generative AI. It is something that we see with all technology implementations and the tools that we use. So how secure is your data? How are you ensuring its privacy and security? And some of the statistics I had shared with you earlier is people are using customer and clients name 13% of our survey Respondents said that they're using customer names, they're using client names. 15% are saying that they're putting non-financial company data into these generative AI tools. 23% say they just put company information, including the name in. That's concerning, right? That's a lack of information. That's a lack of understanding of, of what that could do. I think also there is some buzz and and conversation around that maybe there's an inherent bias and a lack of fairness in the tool itself. And And I would say specifically when you talk about HR, so a lot of these tools are being used for talent recruiting or talent attraction. And if it's inherently being trained on data that has an underlying bias in it, I mean, the tool itself isn't biased, but if the data has underlying bias in it and you haven't had a proper that time of data integrity or being able to look at what that data is, it could really drive outcomes that can be unfair. It can drive products that that may not be representative of organizations and their belief systems. And I think finally, an over-reliance of AI. So 
you know, there's this concept of like, we have this back and forth conversation with this tool, which for many could become this feeling of I'm actually talking to a real person. And when you have that interaction and the surety with which it provides you an answer, you may start to believe like this is the absolute truth, right? And not very many people, like less than 50% of people are saying they're actually going in to check the credibility of the information they're receiving or what what the sources are. I think you're the first person who told me that you're like, every information that comes out of there, I want to know the source of it. I want to know where where the article it came from. And, and I think that's part and parcel with your vocational training and the work that you do is you have to be very thoughtful in particular about where the information is coming from. But unfortunately, I don't think very many people do that. That's not part of their thought process to say, hey, is what I'm reading actually true? Or is it just a culmination of all the data that's out there that some is accurate and some may be inaccurate and it's coming together? I think there's a meta issue there as well. The example that I shared with you where I'd asked a question, it gave me a list of statements and a resource for each one. But what I don't know is, why did it choose those resources? What were the alternatives? How did it make those decisions, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where I had said earlier is if anyone comes in and tells you that they're an expert in this space, uh, there'd be a handful that I think really know how this is coded, how this is actually generating responses, how it's being trained, what that learning language looks like. So this is where it does become, again, drawing back to that ethical dilemma of if employers are not intentional about their policies and usage and employees start to use this for content creation, like I'm hyper aware of this in my consulting space is speaking to my junior consultants and those who are coming out of university to say, we cannot treat this like a, a an essay that you may be writing. Clients pay us large sums of money, not for us to go in and copy paste something that ChatGPT has put out. Maybe you can use it as a stir of ideas and research, but it cannot be a literal copy paste. But this isn't uncommon. I mean, Google's been here forever and we would have experienced the same there, but at least with Google, you, you could pick and choose which articles you're going from versus now there's a bit of that concept of singularity that's coming through is to say, this is the absolute answer. And, and you read it as if to think, yeah, this is it. There's, there's no real alternative. And it worries me that half the population wouldn't be willing to challenge that or check where that information is coming from. I think that's another really interesting issue around transparency. And that is that, at least from some of the articles that I've read, the developers don't even know quite what is happening. I remember reading one article about how one of the Google betas actually taught itself Hindi. Nobody asked it to teach itself Hindi, but it taught wow. itself Hindi. Yeah. Uh, and there was another one where they put two games they had artificial intelligence playing itself and they were playing soccer. And it was very interesting to watch how it moved. But suddenly what started to happen was that they were creating moves and plays that had never been done before, that they were actually creating them. And it was quite shocking. So I'm not sure even the developers know all the time what's happening. It's quite incredible. I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around that concept of how is it able to do things ahead of what even the programmers or the, the coders are 
are doing themselves. But I think this is where in the coming days, weeks, and months, we're going to learn more and more as things evolve in this space. So we've talked a lot about organizations and stuff and the concerns, and I think they're really, really important. What about the individuals, sort of the individual employee, individuals who are proactive early adopters, but as we can see, are maybe not always being as cautious as they should be with no ill intention, just, you know, I'm going to play with this and see what happens. But our efficiencies, how is that going to affect us? Like, are the efficiencies of chat bots like chat GPT, is that a shortcut for job cuts? I was waiting for this loaded <laughs> Of course, this is the buds, right? This is the, we talked about risks and I didn't touch on this being a particular risk at that individual level to say, okay, but does it mean that I'm going to lose my job? And I think this concept of job cuts when it comes to AI or massive job losses as far as I can tell, really started to pick up after Goldman Sachs put a report out with the headline predicting that 300 million jobs will be lost or degraded by AI. And I found that interesting because shortly after, I would say a couple of weeks after they posted another one that said GDP would increase by 7% as a result of AI as well. So, and, and that really helps to shape the answer I'm about to give you is that you cannot look at it only from a lens of job cuts. You do. You really have to look at it from both angles of where there may be a potential for jobs to change. There's also a massive opportunity for there to be a creation of new jobs. But before I jump into those details, I think it's really important to say this isn't something that we as in our history of humanity have not seen before. It's a different tool. But, you know, when the printing press came out, same buzz. Oh, my God, are we going to lose our jobs? When desktop computers or computers came out, same thing. Are, are we going to be replaced by computers? When the Internet was launched, right, it was, what does this mean for the knowledge worker? And so similarly, I think we're experiencing the same when it comes to AI and generative AI. I think the only difference here is that it's an unprecedented amount of adoption that's happening at a pace we've never seen before uh, due to its availability, right? Like it is OpenAI did this phenomenal thing where they said everyone can have access to this and it's free. And so what we're seeing is that individuals absolutely are using it for productivity. 55% of our survey participants said that it was saving them between one to five hours a week in the work that they're doing for the ones who are using it. 67% said it was allowing them to take on additional tasks at work. And 65% said now it's one of their essential tools that they use to be able to manage their workload. So yeah, inadvertently, that means the type of work that you will be doing will change there will be absolutely new jobs that are created. I think that the job that I'm doing today, even post-pandemic, I get brought into organizations to talk to them about hybrid and remote work models. I wouldn't have had that job five years ago because remote work and hybrid work was a bit of an anomaly. There was very few organizations and those who did it were really forward thinkers, right? And so now I get brought in and that's what's what's helping me generate income for the firm as an example. 
Another lens I want to bring in from a Canadian perspective is the government of Canada is really concerned about the fact like our population in Canada is aging and that's due to longer life expectancy and lower fertility rates. And that means that the exit from our labor workforce is at a higher rate, increased rate than those who are coming in. And I think the pandemic has exasperated that as well. And so you're going to hear and you hear a lot about there's a shortage of talent, right? And there's, I go into organizations and they say, I, I can't find the right people to do the job. I have the jobs available. They, the, the right skill set isn't in the market or they're just not enough people. And I think that generative AI and tools like generative AI are really going to be able to help fill that gap of, okay, how do we take those more mundane, repetitive tasks and be able to have a tool like Gen AI help us on that front and then really focus our energy on specific skill set and specific areas so we can attract the right talent and have universities be able to educate that new workforce to come in and attract them to these roles. So I know I didn't give you a solid yes or a no. I think I gave you the atypical accountant answer, which is it depends, but also there's two sides of the equation where there's demand, there's supply. You have to look at both, right? And the ins and outs of it. You've talked about the study that KPMG did in May. And for our listeners, we will include a link to the study in the show notes. I'm curious about, you did touch on a few of the points, but I'm, I'm curious whether anything that really surprised you in the findings. I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was an uptake of almost 20% wanting to engage with the tool. I think the other thing that took me by surprise is to see how much the end consumer is looking to organizations to see, do they have a responsible AI framework? Like that level of maturity that is coming in from the consumer to say, we want to see if organizations are taking this seriously and what do you have at play to ensure that there is an appropriate use of this tool. It is really interesting. Um, and then also how individuals are choosing to use the tool. I think because it was our, a first study of many, and so we, we are intending to do a study like this cannot be stagnant and cannot be just one point in time. We have to do multiple check-ins and we absolutely intend to do so in the coming months and also prior to the first anniversary as well. But just being able to see like how people are using the tool, what benefit they're seeing, what the general sentiments are uh, was interesting. And like I mentioned, I think I've mentioned quite a few statistics before, so I don't want to necessarily go through all of them again, but I would say those were the main highlights. In terms of like high level, what advice would you give to a business that wants to implement AI responsibly and what is it likely to do to their workforce? That's a great question. So just making sure I understand you're just wanting to know what are the steps an organization could really take to ensure it's having a positive impact on their workforce. And, you know, we've talked about quite a few, so I'll summarize those. One, it's a tool that's most users are still learning to use where we aren't fully aware of its capabilities. And I would say first and foremost, you need to educate your workforce around it. You need to get ahead of it in terms of, well, which ones are we going to use within our organization? What are the implications of that? What are the perceived pros and cons or 
things that we need to be aware of. So get ahead of that learning. And that doesn't have to be, you know, one or two hour long virtual training sessions. It could be micro learning. A lot of individuals, the learning culture is also changing. People learn from from their peers. People learn through short sound bites. And so uh, really look at that micro learning piece. I think the second really critical element is going to be ethical AI framework. It's thinking through what are our policies, how are we going to protect our data, how are we going to protect our people and our IP, and what are going to be the ways that we use the tools so that we ensure that there's a level of fairness, transparency, and accountability. I think outside of that, there's a responsibility that organizations have towards their workforce as well. So the fear of of job cuts and loss is real. And I think organizations should address that head on and be able to invest in programs and understand, okay, what is our workforce going to look like five to 10 years from now? What are the kind of skills that we need? Invest within, look at the individuals that you've already brought into the organization who've been working for you, who understand your culture, who understand your market offering and and be able to do some planning for them, some career path things that they understand how their role is going to evolve and what place they're going to have within the organization, as opposed to just going to market and trying to find new individuals to bring in. And yeah, there's going to be new skill sets that are required, especially around the AI space, but those are things that is easily accessible. You could you can go into chat. GBT itself and ask it, what are the skills that you need to know? And it'll tell you, right? And so why not get ahead of that and ensure that you're upskilling your workforce so that they are equipped for success? And what about for employees? What should the employees who are concerned about their own future, what should they be doing now to think about really sort of future-proofing their jobs and ensuring that they continue to have purposeful work? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, there's this concept of people resist change. And I I, I disagree. I don't think people resist change. I think people are fearful of loss, right? And in this case, the biggest concern is loss of job or will I remain relevant? And you think that if you approach it from a place of fear, it will stagnate your growth. It will stagnate the opportunities that come your way. You need to just take a step back, take a deep breath, be proactive. Don't wait for your workplace to educate you. Go educate yourself. I think that we live in a world where learning is at our fingertips. You can get it anywhere and everywhere, and it doesn't have to be something that you pay for. It's accessible for free, and our government has resources. CPA has resources, right? So there are so many resources that are available to us. Don't be afraid to upskill yourself. I think some people assume that I've picked the path of being an auditor, and so I will stay an auditor the rest of my life. I'm testament to, I started a CPA and I'm sitting here in people in change. And so don't be afraid to evolve with the times and evolve with the needs of the market. But also true success will be if you're able to find a way to marry what your strengths and your motivations and your passion to what the market also needs. And I think that there is a sweet spot there that you can find. It may take you time to get there. But when when you're passionate about something, if you're excited to wake up in the morning, like for me, waking up today and knowing I'm going to do this podcast really energized me and excited me. I know I'm in the right space. I know I'm doing the thing that really, it makes me happy. And I think that if you focus on your strengths and try to find ways to to learn tools that help augment that, 
I think help you, right? And I, I nothing that I'm saying is earth shattering here. I think this is the stuff that any good parent would want to say to their kids as well is be positive, be a lifelong learner, be curious till the last breath you have to be in order to be able to survive. And in addition to curiosity, the thing that I would add is to be playful with it. Like, yes, you know, I find some of the use of language in the whole development world. And, you know, my background is as a writer. And so words are my thing. But the use of words is very creative. And they do talk about playing in the sandbox, right? Just playing with this stuff and really encouraging people to be curious and playful is maybe a direction that we need to think about. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of something I think if you've been to business school or any sort of post-secondary education, at some point you would have come across this concept of fail and fail fast. Not everyone has that appetite or has the muscle to say, yeah, I'll do this and maybe it'll be bad or maybe I'll, I'll be wrong. And that really does go back to the culture of an organization as well. So if we're talking about organizations and people, if you can cultivate a culture where you say to them, look, here are the parameters within which you need to work. Don't put company name, don't put company data, but hey, go for it. Have at her and see what you can use it for. And I've actually read a few few uh, instances where organizations right now are doing what they're calling a promptathon. And so they are having their employees go in over a one or two day time frame, giving them like five use cases of what kind of information they would like to generate or a report they'd like to generate and splitting them up into teams to see what prompts did you use to get to that and like who has the best quality output. And I think it's like that playfulness that you talk about is like the gamification always helps, you know, have them think outside of the box, reward them for that. And you'll be able to get really the best out of people that way. Wow. We've just covered so much stuff. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you would like to talk about? I think we've covered a lot of really important topics. And I think the caveat to all of this is for anyone listening, I am as basic of a user of generative AI as all of you are. Maybe my added advantage is that I am able to work with a a number of organizations and I'm seeing how it's being implemented. There are a plethora of jobs that are coming out as a result of this, whether it's prompt engineers, whether it's AI educators. There's so many use cases, I think, we wouldn't have enough time on this podcast to try to get through all of those. And it's across industry and it's across function. But if there's one thing I wanna leave you with, which is like, let's not fear that concept of what is this gonna do for us in, in a negative way in terms of job loss. I think that there is a lot of positive that can come out of this as long as we're being intentional and we are adopting ethical ways of use but let's have fun with it so hopefully maybe that's a good way to end this is let have fun with it be playful and and be a lifelong learner and let's see where this takes us in a few months from now shasta thank you so much for this this has been so much fun i've had a lot of fun too (laughs) thank you You've been listening to Mastering Money from Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. You can click to all the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Please write and review us. And if you'd like to get in touch, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. 
This season's brought to you by Pivot, CPA Canada's member magazine and the most award-winning B2B publication in Canada. You can email pivot at cpacanada.ca to subscribe today. Please note, the views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and not necessarily the views of CPA Canada. This is a recorded podcast. The information presented is current as of the date of recording. New and changing government legislation and programs may have come into effect since the recording date. Please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information. Be well, be kind, and remember, fortune favors the prepared mind.